Chapter 7, The Zone. Gozaimas, Leah-san, Takashi called softly, bowing from between the branches of a small and twisted pine. He wore ninja black, with climbing shoes that separated the big toe from the rest of the foot. Leah bowed from the waist. Ohio Gozaimas, Takashi-san, Takashi Matsumoto, had an MSc in habitat management and six years training in Japan that qualified him for the task that he was now performing, trimming pine needles. Leah was probably the only person in Seoul Trader who understood just how highly qualified he was. The fact that she could speak Japanese and treated him with a respect that bordered on reverence went a long way to reconciling Takashi to his duties as habitat manager for Seoul Trader's Dublin HQ. These duties included the retrieval of newts, which, as of last week, had elected to march in a solemn line through the conference room while a meeting was in progress. They are looking for another pond, he explained. The colony is expanding. The surplus newts were relocated to the botanic gardens in Glasnevin. Being urban, it had escaped the worst effects of rainfall and was now regarded as a species repository. Madison had justified the expense of Takashi's considerable salary by pointing out that Soul Trader no longer employed a receptionist. Each of the standing stones by the doorway contained a biometric scanning device. Leah presented herself to the nearest of these. Welcome, Leah Lawless, said the stone. Is Trevor Morrow in the building? The standing stone consulted its files. Trevor Morrow is in the zone. I'll let him know you're here. This, Leah reflected, might take a while. The zone was designed for programmers, and programmers did not like to be disturbed. Her request to speak to Trevor would be received as a small orange light at the corner of his screen, unless he had switched off his notifications. To her surprise, the stone responded within a few minutes. Trevor will see you now. He is in number 56. Leah made her way through corridors of composite stone, its surface springing beneath her feet. She couldn't take much credit for the zone, she thought, as its doors parted. Most of it was Trevor's idea. She'd just made it work within the space. The zone was based on Trevor's highly informed notions of what programmers actually want, which was radically different to what they were generally offered. What they wanted, in a nutshell, was for everyone else to leave them alone, preferably in a working environment that referenced obscure retro sci-fi. To everyone's astonishment, Marco and Giovanni embraced the concept. Their project spec invoked a 1970s film called Silent Running and the spirit of Buckminster Fuller. The vast dome that enclosed the zone was made of a solar-sensitive material that looked like parachute silk, but that absorbed enough of Dublin's uncertain sunlight to power the server. Geodesic polyhedron, Giovanni explained, hemispherical structure created from triangles. Within it, multiple smaller geodesic domes were stacked in a manner that resembled a pile of Ferrero Rocher chocolates navigated by an internal staircase. These were the workstations, popularly known as Zorbs, 
unoccupied they shone with a pale milky light as close to moonlight as the lighting designer could manage when a zorb was in use its color changed to blue from the outside you could see the shadow of the programmer within but not and this was crucial who that programmer actually was if you wanted their attention you put in a request which they were free to ignore there was no override button not if it's Ethan Blake himself, Trevor specified, Madison conceded. Whatever the wider aspirations of Soul Trader, video games were its bread and butter. If a programmer accepted a request for interruption, the colour of the Zorb would change from blue to green. In this way, Leah was able to identify number 56. She made her way between the silent Zorbs. They were made of a material designed to absorb sound and filter the emissions caused by the activity within. Otherwise, as Trevor had succinctly put it, those nerds are going to suffocate on their own farts. By agreement, programmers working on collaborative projects could open the side of the Zorb to create a semi-private module. In all cases, the soundproofing was such that users could play their music of choice at the volume that they required. As the door slid open, the Zorb's integrated treadmill slowed to a gradual halt. Pink-faced and slightly damp, Trevor stepped off the treadmill and submitted to a hug. He was wearing his cherished gobshite t-shirt. He'd brought Leah the gee-bag version, but it wasn't everywhere you could wear it. Trevor was Ronan's best mate, and Leah couldn't remember a time when he hadn't been in their lives. Growing up, He'd been around at the house more often than he wasn't, and Leah had adored him since, at the age of ten, he had forced Ronan to let her join in a game of pirates. Now, it felt as if he was the only other person in the world who truly believed that Ronan hadn't done a runner. Ronan wouldn't do that, Trevor said. Leah agreed. Do you think he's dead? It's the logical explanation, but no, I don't. Leah didn't either. Kidnapped? Maybe, but why is there no ransom? As Leah stepped inside the Zorb, it began to glow with the mother-of-pearl pink that signified that a meeting was taking place. From the outside, the surface remained opaque, but she knew from experience that the exterior had undergone a translucency shift. Their conversation was private, but an observer could now see who was in the Zorb. For transparency, Madison had insisted. I can see Zorb sex becoming a thing. Come on, Madison, Trevor muttered. You're not in Texas now. Trevor adored Madison, which was kind of funny, because he was generally uncomfortable around women. He looked like Tintin, the boy detective, and female attention embarrassed him. Luckily, he didn't include Leah in that category. What's up? Time for coffee? In a minute, said Leah. There's something I want to show you first. And she took the glasses that Ethan Blake had given her from her bag. It's a prototype. Trevor examined the glasses at length and with interest, making that tongue-clicking noise that meant that he was thinking. Leah sat in silence. When you asked Trevor for technical help, you waited for him to ask the questions. 
Eventually, he put the glasses back in their box. What happens when you put them on? Leah told him about the hedgehog. Sounds like a computer-generated overlay. I know, said Leah impatiently, but why a hedgehog? Trevor laughed. I'm going out on a limb here, but I'm guessing that the last time you felt depressed, you held up in your hammock with a bar of chocolate and spent the evening looking at pictures of adorable baby hedgehogs on your phone. Leah's eyes widened. I actually did. How did you know? This, said Trevor, indicating the glasses case, is an early stage prototype glyph. It's an AI constructed from your social media activity. If you'd shown an interest in kittens, it would have taken a feline form. As well as the canteen, Soul Traders HQ had three automated coffee bars, all of which were free and one rooftop cafe where you paid through the nose. There was almost always a queue. The roof garden, which is also under Takashi's jurisdiction, was coming along nicely. It was planted for insects, a seasonal tangle of yarrow and foxglove, wild marjoram and thyme, with a scattering of bergamot and lavender, and encircled by a running track. A handful of Soul Traders employees jogged around it, dressed in neon-coloured nylon. So, said Leah, coming round the corner with two small cups of artisan coffee, what am I meant to do with it? Trevor removed the plastic zipper lid and blew. Level up, he said. The AI, as Leah came to understand it, was formed of information gleaned from her online activity. The more you allowed it access the more developed it became. The way that it gathers data is called reality mining, Trevor explained. You just have to decide how much of your reality you want to share. What level of access do you want to give it? Are you on Horcrux? Leah nodded. In the pernicious world of social media, the open source network was generally considered a force for good. Almost everyone that she knew had a Horcrux profile apart from Trevor who claimed that it was a front for deeper, darker marketing activities. How about the old ones? Facebook and Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Do you want it to access your Google accounts, your gaming history, your banking app, your medical records, your DNA genealogy report? Leah stared at the small black case in discomfort. Really? Post-privacy said Trevor, sipping. It's a complex issue. People don't want to know how complex. Bottom line, it's unlikely that your information will be used against you. Damn good coffee. The coffee was the exact same brand as the one delivered by the automated machine, but having it made by a person seemed to add something. How do I communicate with it? There was nothing on the device, to signify that it was anything more than a pair of glasses. Try talking to it, Trevor suggested. I'd imagine that it comes with pre-programmed voice recognition software. You mean it knows my voice? Yep, just like it knows your lens prescription, and your heartbeat, and your breathing pattern, and your odour, and your gait. When it talks to you, nobody else can hear it. 
If I were to try on the glasses, which I'm not going to do, all I'd see was a blur. But if you choose to use it, you've got an internet-enabled device that's utterly specific to you and currently worth about €100,000. That's why it hasn't made it past the prototype stage. Leah reflected briefly on what she could do with €100,000. Don't suppose I could sell it? Trevor shook his head. It's hardwired to your biometrics. Devices like this are the way of the future. In 50 years' time, we'll all have them and these... He lifted his phone. We'll have gone the way of landlines and the postal service. <laughs>